Are they the things that drive me? You know what happens when you ask yourself that question? You find out that a lot of things that drive us, God couldn't care less about. We just like them. What drives you? What are you passionate about? In today's teaching, Pastor Daniel shares that a man named Phineas was zealous for the same things as the Lord. His passions matched those of God. Pastor Daniel asks you to consider if the same could be said of you. He explains that you might find that the things that drive you aren't as important to the Lord. You'll be encouraged to work to make God's priorities your own. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Numbers chapter 25 as he continues his message, Idolatry in Moab. if it's covenantal, is jealous for the blessing of the relationship. So if Lynn came to me and says, Daniel, look, I just really just fell in love with someone else. I was like, great, don't worry. I don't really love her. But if I really love my wife and she says, listen, I'm in love with someone else. I'm like, well, why? And and no, it's just me and you. It's just me, you, and Jesus. And I'm not going to go and kill her or kill that other person. That's insecurity and violence. But my heart, if I really love her, I want that love for myself. And so God is a jealous God because he knows that if we join ourselves to an idol, that it's going to be destruction for us. That's why God is, and that's why God's jealousy is part of his perfections and his holiness, not part of God's deficiency, but part of God's sufficiency. And so God is jealous, and so he gets angry because the children of Israel now are committing spiritual adultery against him. And notice what it says. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill his men who were joined about all of Peor. It's a death sentence from the Lord. And Moses relays that down to all the leaders. Now, someone's about to say, I can't believe the violence of the Bible. Listen. The Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. And it's God's pure mercy that when we make a mistake, we do not drop dead right as it happens. That's what you have to remember. Think about when Adam and Eve ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. But when they ate of the tree, they didn't die right then. They didn't just drop dead. Instant judgment for their mistakes. But it did happen ultimately. And so many people are like, well, if God really doesn't like it, I should drop that right now. And they're like, no, no, no. Don't. God is being long-suffering. But there are times when God's judgment is instantaneous. You have it in the Bible. It's going to happen here. Think about in the New Testament, you have Ananias and Sapphira. They experienced it. You have Herod, the voice of a God and not of a man. And he drops dead. 
And we all have actually, we know people, unfortunately, who they've made horrible decisions and the loss of life is swift. It's not the norm. So oftentimes we take God's delay as God doesn't really care. But then, of course, if you read your Bible in the end of 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, God is not lazy or slack concerning his promises, but he's long-suffering, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So what we find is that God's delay in rendering just judgment for rebellion is actually God's long-suffering love so that we will turn away from our rebellion and be restored to God and restored to right fellowship with him and other people. But in this case, they provoked God and God, the punishment is coming right away. It's coming right away. Now look at what happens in verse 6. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. Now, I realize this is intense and provocative, but what you have is that as God is speaking to Moses and to the congregation, they're at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they're weeping because they realize that some of their family, their company has now rejected God and they're under judgment and that they need to carry out the judgment. And then you find one of these men bring one of these Midianite women right into the front. And it's an absolute audacious display of spiritual rebellion. Now, listen, you guys realize our culture does this every single day, right? Where we are living in a world of ostentatious, this is my life, Forget you, my life is not your thing, and everybody does it publicly, way out there, right? And in this context, there is literally a man with a Midianite woman. Now, we had already said that they were committing sexual immorality, so this was going on in public at the door of the tabernacle meeting, flaunting it. And Phineas, who is of the descendants of Aaron, so the Levitical tribe, the priestly tribe, right? He gets up and he grabs a javelin and he chases them down and he kills them both. That's what we find here. Literally, the javelin goes through both of them and we find out that the plague stopped among the children of Israel. So Phineas was so provoked that he acted. Notice what it says. He was provoked, he stopped them killed them, and then the plague stopped. And we find out that how many people died? 24,000 people. For the children of Israel, they lost 24,000 people at this plague. It's a lot of people receiving justice, judgment for the rebellion of the children of God by going worshiping Baal. Now, 
We get more information in verse 10. Look at what it says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore, say, behold, I give him my covenant of peace and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. So we find out that Phineas's zeal is rewarded by God with a covenant of peace. So in this instant, Phineas had the heart of God. And because he acted on God's zeal, God not only stopped the plague, and the implication is that God was going to consume many more people. So God was merciful in his judgment and God placed a blessing on the lineage of Phineas. Now, at this point, I have to bring up because it confronts us then is, so should we go killing people who are living audaciously against God? And brothers and sisters, the answer to that is absolutely not. Why? Because God poured out all of his wrath on Jesus. And Somebody can't repent if they're dead. So our job is not to go and exercise God's judgment upon someone else. Because of the cross, God has placed all of the judgment on Jesus. And our job is to love them and to, in love, speak the truth with them that they might turn from their way and receive God's forgiveness. Because you got a bunch of wacky people who read this kind of stuff and they start thinking it's God's will that they start murdering people. And you need to think in the Bible, the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, you don't just like, well, I got the ministry of Phineas. I just kill everyone I don't like. No. No. It's not God's heart. Because think about the gospel. The gospel is, is that Jesus received the punishment that we deserved. And listen, For any one of us who's ever committed sexual immorality, we could have received the same punishment, whatever sort it was. So we have to remember the gospel message, the finished work of Jesus, that Jesus died the death that you and I deserved. And maybe you're like, well, listen, sexual immorality isn't my problem, but I judge everybody who does have that problem. And so pride or judgment's the issue, or alcoholism is the issue, or covetousness is the issue, or whatever the issue it is, in the Bible, all of it is punishable by a death sentence because God is holy and we are not. And that is exactly why Jesus died. And so our job is not to exercise God's judgment unto death because Jesus did that for us. And so our job is to love and to speak the truth in love, knowing that Vengeance is the Lord, and the Lord will take care of it. Our job is to be witnesses of the coming kingdom that now is and is yet to come, not to be executors of people. And think about, even though we might never pick up a javelin and kill somebody, how often we do 
murder people with our words. That things frustrate us so much that we assassinate people, but with words. So we have to be careful. But this is a unique situation. But we live on the other side of the finished work of Jesus. And we have to view everything, my friends, through the lens of the cross and the empty tomb. We can't ever divorce our thinking from a savior who took our shame and our pain upon himself, on his own body on that cross, received the punishment that we deserved, assuaged God's wrath, and instead of us receiving wrath, we receive grace. It causes us to take a step back, doesn't it? When we start getting frustrated, we're like, wait, hold on a second. Am I returning God's good to somebody else with evil? Am I not passing along God's amazing and abundant grace? But Phineas is blessed. And if anything for us, I think what I want to encourage us is, because what we can learn from Phineas is that Phineas had the zeal that God had. What drove God drove Phineas. And we got to ask ourselves, Lord, Do I have your zeal? Do the things that drive you, God, are they the things that drive me? You know what happens when you ask yourself that question? You find out that a lot of things that drive us, God couldn't care less about. We just like them. It's just kind of our thing. And God wants to change that in all of us. God wants I mean, we sing it, Lord, break my heart for the things that break yours. Lord, let me love the things that you love. I was just talking to someone just this past week, and guy was, loved the Lord, you know, had a really bad situation at a church he pastored. It got really, really bad, and he's really been kind of dour on church. And I'm like, bro, I know it hurts, but listen, that's God's bride. That's the bride of Jesus. So even though you got a little busted up, like God loves the church so much that Jesus died and rose again. So as you're working through your pain, don't ever diminish what God cherishes. Don't, sisters, don't ever diminish what God cherishes. And there are things that drove the life of Jesus, that things that drive the gospel narrative in humanity the things that push the things of God forward, that we need to say, God, I want that heart. Because you know we'd live differently if we had that heart. We'd value different things. We'd think differently about all sorts of things. But what we have is we have the things that God values, and then we have the things that the world that we've lived in values. Our host culture. Right? And it's impossible not to acquire the values of the culture that has nurtured us. 
It's impossible not to. You look at every single generation in church history, there are very specific struggles that they have given the culture that they have. I mean, you even think about American history, how the Civil War broke out, and even they almost weren't even able to sign the Constitution over the issue of slavery. Now we look at it and we're like, how is it possible they didn't realize what was going on? Well, let me tell you how it was impossible, because they lived in a culture where they were nurtured, where that was normal. And even though it's totally wrong... Totally not biblical. It was so normalized that people who really loved Jesus couldn't see past the blinders that the culture had given them. And you might say, well, that's not us. It is us. You know what the problem with blind spots are? Is that they're blind. We don't realize we have them. If you knew that the car was in the blind spot, you wouldn't have changed lanes and turned into them. And we don't realize our blinders because the power and the pull of our host culture is so strong. But if we were to say, God, what drives you? I want it to drive me. What you value, I want that to drive my life. Then I believe that as we do that, God will cause us to question our cultural values, question our host culture, start to say, I realize I've always been raised in this, but is this really the way of Jesus? And God would give us supernatural wisdom in learning how to navigate the reality that we have. And I love the fact that Phineas has the zeal of the Lord. He has it. And my prayer for us is that we have the zeal of the Lord. That the things that drive, that word zeal, the passion of God, the things that drove Jesus, the things that drove the spirit-filled apostles, that we would find our lives driven by the same passion. Now, in verse 14, look what it says. Now, the name of the Israelite who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Salu, the leader of the father's house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zer. He was the head of the people of a father's house in Midian. So what is unfortunate is that the names of the perpetrators of this actually landed in the Bible. And every once in a while, you get that in the Bible, right? Where like someone gets named in the Bible for the dumb thing that they did. And that's kind of a bummer, isn't it? I mean, you can imagine, you know, like for successive generations, like they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, was that, was that your uncle? Oh, in a lot of ways in our culture, we have this kind of idea that it's only wrong if we get caught. You know, and like if my name gets in the paper for doing it or on the internet for doing it, then it's really bad. But you got to remember that all of our deeds are written in the book of life. You realize that, right? Like we ain't getting away with nothing, my friends. God sees all of it. And God's not just sitting there like nitpicky, like a judge on American Idol, just being like, oh, yeah, you totally, your voice was quivering there, and that was a little pitchy, and yeah, your rhythm was off. Like, God's not there looking for what we're doing wrong. God loves us so much, he can't take his eyes off us, and he knows everything that we've ever done. And yeah, maybe it won't ever end up on the internet, but it is in the book of life, and there's a day that's going to come when all the books are going to be opened. And that's not like a threat. That's just a reality. 
It's kind of like, you know, we see all these movies today where it's kind of like Big Brother's watching where with all the video cameras and everything, they can kind of piece your whole life together, right? Because there's video cameras everywhere and there's cameras on the buildings, security cameras, and everyone's phone can function as a camera. And if Big Brother wants to watch you, they can see everything you're doing. It kind of makes you feel a little paranoid. You guys ever see those movies like that? Yeah, it makes you feel a little paranoid. Well, guess what? Everything we're doing is on display. God sees all of it. You know what the beauty of that is with the Lord is all of us fail in a million ways, but God loves us still. Isn't that amazing? God loves us with full disclosure about who we are. Like when God placed his punishment on Jesus for you and for me, when God saved you and forgave you of everything, he didn't forgive you and be like, oh, I didn't really know that they did that. If I would have known, I wouldn't have given him grace. I mean, that's really bad. No, he had full disclosure. He had every detail. Every piece of information about your life, he had, and he still chose to love you, to save you, to fill you with his Holy Spirit and say, look, I'm not finished with you yet. And that's awesome about who the Lord is. I mean, so often we don't love people when we have full disclosure. We just want to get rid of them. I can't believe they're that like that. Oh, my goodness. Right? Like, if I would have known that, I would never have gone out for that second cup of coffee with them. Like, that's the way we think, right? But God knows everything, and yet he still says yes. So listen, we know who these folks were. Bad decision. But everything we do is known. It's just a matter of time before it all comes to light. Notice what it says in verse 16. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, harass the Midianites and attack them for they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the leader of Midian, their sister who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. So what happens to the Midianites, the Moabites, the Lord says, look, they didn't want to come to battle against you. They were scheming against you. We have a war now. That's what you have. So I want you to attack them. They harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you. Now listen, I want to close with this. Whether we like it or not, each one of us is in a battle. And the enemy is sly. He schemes. You find it in the book of Job, right, where Satan comes. He's with the angels, and God's boasting about his servant Job. And, and really, Satan's like, yeah, I've seen him. I've studied him. And the word in the Hebrew is literally like, I have strategized against him in a military fashion. And brothers and sisters, what you have to remember is that there, the enemy is real, and the enemy has got a plan. And I believe the enemy's plan is uniquely tailored to each one of our weaknesses, strengths. There's not like, I just give everyone the same plan. Let's go at everyone the same way. Everyone's different. Jesus is real. Today, Pastor Daniel finished up this series on the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites with a reminder that you are in the midst of a battle. There's a war going on for your attention and affections. Pastor Daniel shared that Satan has a strategy and has created a plan of attack that's tailored to your particular struggles. 
He encourages you to be on guard against the enemy while you seek the Lord and cling to him. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus Is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus Is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. That's it for this series called Wilderness. As Pastor Daniel went through this study in Numbers, you saw that the Israelites were wandering in both a physical wilderness as well as a spiritual one. You saw over and over again how the people of God continually failed, but God remained faithful. Pastor Daniel shared that the key to their destruction was an internal one, and that you must also be on guard against the sinful inclinations of your heart. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.